Hello, and welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host each week, twice weekly on Tuesdays and Fridays, where now after six years and coming up on 400 taped episodes, we love to shine our spotlight onto iconic leaders around the world. Sometimes they are leaders inside of Fortune 50 companies. Sometimes they're entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, solopreneurs. We have the occasional author and celebrity, someone who perhaps has been deeply researching a topic to make you a better leader in your home or your organization. And then sometimes we have someone who actually fits all those bills. Today, we are honored to have Jane Seymour, the iconic producer, actor, entrepreneur, philanthropist, author. She kind of checks every single box you'd ever think of. Joining us from her home in Malibu, California, Jane Seymour, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jane, it's an honor to have you. Like I mentioned in my opening, you are all those things. You have authored books, you have produced, you have acted you are a philanthropist, you are a designer, an artist, a creator, you are a leader, you have your own companies, you hire and fire and have tough courage, high courage conversations with staff like all of us do. I'd like to get into today a lot of those lessons learned. Why don't you maybe reorient all of our listeners and viewers, because everyone knows your name, but some people might know you from your role in The Wedding Crashers, or perhaps as, you know, on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, or they know you from the creator of the iconic Open Hearts from Kate Jewelers. You're a multifaceted entrepreneur. You would take an hour to walk you through all of your credits, but maybe give some of the highlights of your journey so people can get a sense for the depth and breadth of your commitment and your career. Well, first of all, as you can hear, I'm British. Um, I uh, was born and raised in England. Our original training was as a ballerina, as a dancer. Danced with the Kirov when I was very young, got to... Um, had had an injury, became an actress by default, um, somehow stumbled into being a Bond girl at 20, uh, survived that and went on to um, do all the classics in the theatre and also um, television and film. Uh, moved to America when I was 26, um, got sort of the moniker of being queen of the miniseries because I, every major miniseries that was, you know, they let me play in it and I had great success playing lots of different characters. Um, I think I, I've always been an artist. I've always painted. But when I turned 40, um, I had been married by business manager. And uh, one day I found out that I was $9 million in the red with lawsuits from every major bank, including the FDIC. Uh, my mother had survived um, a camp, a Japanese concentration camp in Indonesia during World War II and had always you know, told me about perseverance and about dealing with challenge and turning it into an opportunity. So um, when things were really dire, I um, gave the last minute I had to a charity that dealt with people with child abuse, which I thought was the worst. And uh, and out of that, um, an artist offered to give me some free art lessons. The next thing I knew, um, my art was my therapy. It enabled me to continue and to be able to cope with everything that I've been going through. And then the next thing I knew, I was in a book called Actors as Artists. Uh, then I was hired by, um, gosh, you know, Corbell to do um, uh, 
a champagne label bottle, special edition, um, private issue discover card, um, asked me to do a, a card. Um, mine was one of the best sellers. It was shown at the Guggenheim. So my art right off the bat is at the Guggenheim. That's pretty good. And, and the money that came from that went to, um, Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I really, out of adversity, I mean, if you have to talk about, there's a lot of different areas to discuss, and I know you don't need to do it all in one, but I'm the I'm the daughter of a survivor. I, I've had many career changes, not necessarily due to my desire, but, you know, having to deal with challenge. And um, the message of my, my mother's inspiration of... Um, accepting challenge, opening my heart and wanting to um, find purpose by helping others, I would say has run through everything. So, um, you know, we can get into individual things, but the authenticity of everything I've done has come out of the challenges I've had in life. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose to have those challenges, but out of them, every time some amazing opportunity came. And whereas some people don't do it because like where I come from in England say, Oh, you can't do that. Why not? Oh, because it's not been done before. I, no one ever told me it couldn't be done. So I went, Oh, what about this? And then everyone said, well, you know, it, you, you can't, for example, trademark a heart. Well, guess what? I did. What? No one's ever done that before. No, gosh. So I don't know. I, I, I think, um, you know, I think in my acting, producing, everything to do with my brands, everything, it's authentic. And it comes from me and from a desire to com communicate um, in a very kind of honest and open fashion and to have a conversation with whoever is either buying or watching or, uh, you know, uh, reading something that I do. So, you know, if I have to give myself a label for all the different things I do, I would say it's authentic. Jane, there is so much to tease out of that. That was lovely. There's so much to tease out of that. I, I wanna focus on one area in particular. You mentioned at a point in your life, not so long ago, that you found yourself in debt. You said there were $9 million to massive numbers of financial institutions who weren't gonna stand by and not collect it. Um, how did you extricate yourself out of that? And more importantly, what advice would you give to people that are listening to this who may not be in debt $9 million, but they have a similar weight of worry on them and they can't see a way out of it? Might be financial, it might be in a marriage, could be in a job or a leader or a situation or a health scare. Is, are there any, are there any, is there anything you did that everybody else could also do if you just gave them permission right now to, to um, find themselves out of their version of $9 million of debt? Well, first of all, um, you know, as a woman, uh, a woman who's almost 73, I come from a different era. You know, we didn't have computers. We didn't have the Internet. We, you know, we, we couldn't get information, you know, fast that way. And I've always been entrepreneurial. But I always gave my power over to the man in my life. And I think, you know, if I had something to do again, I wouldn't do that. So when I talk to two people and they say, what advice do you have? I say, own your power, you know, hire, you don't have to let your husband run it. <laughs> don't <laughs> you know, hire somebody that you can hire and fire. That's nothing to do with the marriage. Um, 
The mistake I had uh, and made was I just figured, oh, well, they're the man, you know, they, they, they can take over, they can do it. Well, I let two men in my life control um, everything, my career, my brands, I mean, absolutely everything. And whereas in some cases they might have made some good decisions, in other areas um, they didn't, but I created all those brands. And I needed to just take ownership of it. And then when, when those divorces happened and I ended up um, realizing that I could not repeat this pattern and realized that I've yet to pass basic math. So you have to remember, I am not an entrepreneur that knows how to crunch the numbers or do a, a, a you know flow charts or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, business and I know how to create the brand. I know how to sell the brand. I, I can't crunch the numbers. It's, and so I, I had to learn to delegate. And what I needed to do was to find someone I could trust that could do the financial side of it. And I also, I would say, I always have been able to pivot. So if something wasn't working, I didn't just go, oh my God, it's all over. You know, I, this is gone. Um, I always remember that, that book, you know, who moved the cheese. I'm, I'm already, I'm already on, on another planet looking for cheese. You know, <laughs> I, um, I pivot, you know, I accept, okay, that didn't work or that was then, this is now, now what? And I ask myself, what can I do uniquely um, in this situation? Well, um, when I went through that terrible divorce, the first thing I did was I obviously called my agent. I was at that time at the height of my game in my career. And I said to my agent, I will literally do anything. He called the network, said, Jane said she'll do anything. Is there anything? And they said, if she reads it tonight, I got it at 10 o'clock at night and says, yes, by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and signs for five years, there's a movie of the week and she'd have to start tomorrow. And that was Dr. Quinn. So sometimes out of adversity and challenge, something magnificent happens that would never have happened. I would never have done it. And they made it believing it was going to be a failure. So when I signed for five years, they said, oh, no, woman in the lead never works. Western doesn't work, hospital, the medical shows don't work and family values don't work. So don't worry, it will never be a series. Well, you know, 98 countries later and it's still playing now 43 years later everywhere, they were wrong. So I think my advice to people is um, think out of the box. I know we hear that all the time, but literally think out of the box. But ask yourself, what can I uniquely do? And my unique take on things is, you know, I know I know how to act. So if I see a piece of material that really moves me, like Dr. Quinn, I think, well, I as a human being right now, a broken human being, this movie, even if it's only one movie of the week, is very empowering to me as a human being. And so therefore it might be empowering to other people. Well, guess what? It was and is. And, you know, there's very little like that out there. Um, when it came to uh, coming up with the, you know, the the art um, I was giving back when I had nothing to people I thought who had were worse off, to people who were, had been suffered from child abuse. Well, because I was pouring my heart out in some form of artistic expression, and because uh, artists decided that they liked me and they wanted to paint with me and, and teach me some techniques and just be part of that process, um, 
And because I really didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> I was just painting for my soul. Um, it, those paintings spoke to people. So people started buying them. I had, I was doing, I think, 12 to 14 one-woman shows across America and Canada. And, you know, even to this day, I, I have major collectors. I have monuments and sculptures. I mean, art is what I do for me. And in, I never imagined a million years that, anyone would buy it or want to collect it, but they do mercifully. And um, and it's very exciting because yet again, if you create something in a vacuum, um, what's the point? But if somebody responds to your artistic, emotional, um, authentic expression, uh, they are your audience. And that is to me even more important than any money I would make out of it. But I got really lucky, you know, people actually felt it was worth financially worthwhile too. And um, I would say, you know, hold the reins yourself. Um, make sure you never sign up to do anything that isn't who you really are or what you really believe. You see, I never have to have someone say, well, I mean, I know I did hear one time somebody said, oh, well, you know, K Jewelers, they they created the open heart and they came up with, you know, all their, their specialists of, you know, how to market things. No, no, it was me. I came up with it. I'm the one that 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 told them the idea. They were all like this in the boardroom, looking at me like, no, we don't do this. And then actually, they rather famously said, well, we'd like to do this, but we test before we invest. And we will do a two-year test. And I went, no, no, I just did Dancing with the Stars. You know, um, you guys met me because of that. I mean, people have seen the image. So now is the time. It's now or never. And then they did test, they broke all their rules and the test was four times higher than they'd ever imagined. And they had to put it out then for Christmas. When they did, they, you know, they ran out of merchandise. So I'm, I'm just saying, sometimes you just have to believe and, and, um, and break the rules. Jane, you're obviously best known for your acting talent, right? Whether it be on stage or in movies or on television, you, you are one of those rare artists that have multifaceted talents that are also commercial. And you've made a business yeah. out of this. And I'd like to talk about those because who doesn't have some creativity in them that they would love to know how to monetize? Not everybody, not everyone's avocation can be their vocation, but I notice that you're wearing the open heart. I know that you also are a, a painter. You have a scarf. You have a series of products that you actually create and merchandise and market. Would you maybe, with my permission, take a few minutes and talk about what is it you've done with your natural talent and your business skills that, again, other people might put into action? Maybe you've got someone that's listening to us at home right now in their office and they hate their job, or their job is just a means to an end, and they've got an idea, and they don't know where to start. Any things that you've done that you could teach us through the products and services that you have created and launched into very successful businesses? Well, thank you very much. I would say uh, that one of the keys, I think, is um, everything and anything that I make or do, I give back. So part of my story is, um, and it's true, is that, Anything that you buy of mine, there, an element of that goes towards um, our foundation, the Open Hearts Foundation. Um, as an artist um, and having shows, it was great. And then they did, stopped having shows because of you know COVID and whatever. 
Um, I just kept thinking, well, there's any, you only have X amount of room in your house to hang things, but why not, you know, take the elements and turn them into fabric. So these are little watercolors I've done and um, we turn them into fabrics and turn them into scarves. And I, I started really small. I, I found a, a company that would make 25 or 50 rather than thousands. So I had very small amount of inventory. Um, I sell them out of my offices. Um, we sell them on um, on in, through Instagram and Facebook, but we have a we have a janeseymour.com website where you can see everything from films, books, everything else I do. But you can also see what we call art to wear or art or jewelry or or any of the other things that I do. Um, but really, I found that I had to get in the modern world, and I and Instagram and Facebook were were incredibly important. And of course, I'm not from that generation. And I didn't really know how to go about doing that. So I realized that a lot of people, and I don't, don't quote me on this, but I do believe you can pay to get followers, like millions and millions of followers. Well, I've never done that. So what I've done and what people apparently can see is that I have what's called high engagement. So in other words, people see my Instagram or, or Facebook and then they follow me, but they don't just follow, they engage. And, and so it grows all the time, but I've done things in small, in small ways. I mean, now my dream is I'd like to make this bigger and better and, and, and have JS designs everywhere, which I probably, you know, hopefully can do at some point. But what I've done always is to start small and have it be literally from my hand and have it have some meaning. So for example, this scarf is, you know, a wave. So there's a story behind this. And I always think of life like the circumstances you're born into. It's like you're in a body of water going in a general direction. And there's that woo moment where you win the prize, make the team, fall in love, first kiss, whatever it is. And then, oh, you go down. And then I would say to people, a wave doesn't just go down and disappear. A wave curls around and as it's going free falling, it is very uncomfortable. As it crashes, it's painful as can be, but it still has momentum and it moves up and has the chance if your heart and your mind are open or in the case of a wave, the water, that new water can meet it and create a new wave based on the ups, the downs, the letting go and um, the repurposing and, and the moving forward. So I see life as constantly um, being part of this cycle. And so therefore, for example, my wave paintings, my wave um, fab, you know, scarves or whatever, garments, you know, there's a message to it. So I think um, coming up with why would somebody need it? What will it, will it make a difference in their lives? And how can I make it that it is aspirational and affordable, not just to people with a lot of money, but people who maybe don't have much but this is would be their treasure. How can I how can I do that? And also, you know, I'm I'm very conscious of um, where it's made and you know and and who's working in, to make them. You know, I I don't want to um, get involved with with any kind of practices that I wouldn't be comfortable with. And then you know we. Um, we also talked about the jewelry, by the way, I think were, it sold over a billion dollars in retail just when I was with Kay, which was unheard of. It disrupted the normal way that diamonds were sold because before that, De Beers 
said, you know, this is how diamonds will be sold. And they'd give them a story like the journey necklace or whichever ones they did. I came up with something that was unique to Kay's. And then since then with JTV and, um, you know, on in the future, I would like to expand that and go elsewhere and make it, make it be seen to, to more people. Um, it's a very powerful message and it's one I think we really need in the world right now. So talking about people having ideas, think of something Ask yourself, what could make a difference right now to people in the environment that we live in and in the world we live in, in the psychology that they're dealing with? You know, with are people lonely? Are they isolating? Are they are you finding some way to get people together? I mean, part of what we do with Open Hearts Foundation is a whole volunteering program. You know, people are now finding a social aspect of actually getting together with their kids and, and you know, feeding the homeless and things like that. Um, so in terms of all my brands, it's about empowering, um, empowering people. So it's not just a thing. It's a thing that has meaning that is works, you know, so if it's, it's like the, the crepe erase project products I do that skincare I do actually works. I've been doing that for 11 or more years. I think I can't remember how many years now. Um, I mean, you know, people actually literally touch me in airports say, does that work? I mean, yeah, it actually does work. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, people are taking time out to look after themselves. So there's more to it than just that particular cream works. It's like they're actually paying attention to their own health, their own, um, you know, what they can do about their skin, what they can do about feeling good about themselves. And I think you know, I think it all comes back to my mom. She, you know, she said, if you can love yourself, then other people can love you. You can't give and receive love until you can love yourself. And you can only love yourself when you feel that you're making a difference in the world. So it all comes back to the same thing, you know. And and I, I do that in my movies too. I will pick movies that I think um, have an important message. I've just done a short movie for literally no money. It hasn't come out yet. People haven't seen yet. It's going to, to festivals. But... You know, I've, I'm very, very proud of it. Um, I've done movies um, about Alzheimer's. I've, I've produced the movie with Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, about, you know, this great, great music icon who was going down the rabbit hole of Alzheimer's and, and what that's about. So very involved in that kind of world, memory loss. I've, I, we did uh, Walk the Line, talking about redemption, really. It wasn't just Johnny Cash's story. Johnny and June became great friends. They trusted us. They trusted us with their material. And we told them their story was about redemption. So there's always something more than just, oh, this is something that can make money in, for me. It's got, it's got to have a purpose. It's got to be relatable to, it's got to be authentic. It's got to make a difference. And, um, and that's, you know, that's the criteria for me. Jane, I'm riveted listening to you. Let's do a speed round, short questions, short answers. Okay. What was your first big break? I suppose James Bond, the live and let die. That was a huge break. And was it a letdown after that, or did, did your brain continue to rise after that? Was there a wave and a crash and a, resist, a res, re, resilience? Actually, the word, it, it's interesting. It was a high and a low, and I had to let go. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, uh, one minute I'm like the Bond girl, and then I realized that if I really want to do the kind of acting I wanted to do, do the classics, do, you know, Shakespeare and, and be a serious actress, which is what I was, um, that... 
having been a Bond girl didn't necessarily help me. I had to, I had to literally go into the theater and play the classics and show people that I was not, you know, just someone with high cheekbones and the ability to run three paces behind a man with a gun, not wearing very much. High, low, and then let go. When you let <laughs> I go. Had high, low, and let it go. I love and it. So I, uh, so I actually re, uh, recharged my career when I was at the highest point at that time. I, I turned it, the whole thing around and went right back to the basics. And I, I went and I did the theater. I, I, I did play to Lady Macbeth. I played Ophelia. I did Middleton and Rowley. I did Ibsen, Nora's Doll's House. I mean, I honestly, and I was criticized. People say, oh, look, you see, she's a failure because she's now doing theater. No. Jane Seymour was realizing she had a lot to learn. And so I um, I put myself into what it is that I wanted to do. I was more interested in acting than being a star, to be perfectly honest. Um, I still am, actually. I, I, I just love the process. And I love being able to tell the story. I love being able to get people to laugh and cry and think and, you know, be angry about something. Um, that that's you know that's what I like to do and and I never play the same thing over unless I'm in a series right now I'm doing something called Harry Wilde and I'm the producer on it as well and that's bringing people back to reading because she plays a retired English professor and she uses her knowledge of history and English and literature in general to solve crimes so it's a kind of Miss Marple's um, kind of murder she wrote except nothing like Jessica no I'm I'm much more kind of outrageous um kind of very independent woman who drinks too much red wine, but can solve crimes that the police are completely incapable of doing with her knowledge of uh, of literature. So, you know, again, that's exciting and fun for me because it's something you've never seen or heard before. And what's happening is a lot of people who've never read a book are going, well, oh, that's interesting. Well, maybe I'll Really? Did that really happen? I'll look that up. At least they'll look it up on the, you know, the cheat sheet or the Instagram. I mean, on um, uh, whatever it is on, on the computer to see. Oh, that's fascinating. Speed round. Short question, short answer. What role are you most proud of and why? Oh, there's a few. Um, I would say War and Remembrance was very important to me because um, my father um, and my, my mother survived World War II, so I'm first generation. My father, before I met my mother, um, opened the gates of Bergen-Belsen, where a number of his relatives had been murdered, both there and, and Treblinka. Um, my mother's had survived a Japanese camp in Indonesia, so... I was around a lot of, of her friends, the ones who had survived. So I knew about that. So when I was asked to do this 32-hour miniseries about World War II, seen through the eyes of an American family, and actually got to spend nine months with Sir John Gielgud in all over Europe, but especially in Birkenau and in Auschwitz, where we reenacted this whole thing with actual survivors. That was very impactful for me. That was that was. You know, that was a huge thing for me. Um, East of Eden is something I'm very proud of. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, obviously. Um, Harry Wilde, which is out right now. I mean, I can't not talk about Dr. Quinn. I mean, I didn't have time when I was making it to watch them. I mean, I watched one or two. But now I've been watching them with um, family and with friends. And I'm going, wow, what a great show. And how extraordinary that the subject matter that we're dealing with there is exactly happening today. You know, we're poisoning the water, the gold mine, gold rush, we're poisoning the water. 
we're, we're treating um, the, the Native Americans badly. Um, we are burning books. Um, we are, um, you know, all, all the, so many topics of Dr. Quinn are so current, you know, different religions, different faiths, you know, um, naturalized medicine. I mean, everything. It, it's, you know, families. How do you make a family? And adoption and, um, and, and, you know, race relations and uh, all of it. It, it. It's really uncanny that I did something there for seven years, 140 or 160 hours worth of it, I think. I can't remember how many, but a lot. And every one of them pertains to something that's current, that's, you know, in our newsfeed every day. Jane, what's a role that, in hindsight, you regret? Because either it didn't support your brand, it wasn't authentic to who you were, you took it for the wrong reasons, and in hindsight, you'd say, you know, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. That's hard. I'm trying to think of something I really didn't like. I mean, I think I was kind of shocked that the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders turned into the highest rated movie in the history of television at that time. Until Who Killed JR? That was the highest rated. I mean, more people watched that. And it was definitely a TNA thing. But, you know, in hindsight, it allowed the network to greenlight me as the star of East of Eden. So I... You know, I could say, no, I wish I hadn't done it, but actually I'm very glad I did because if I hadn't had the commercial success there, they wouldn't have given me um, the incredible miniseries that I got. So I don't know if there's any one thing I'm really, really embarrassed about. I, I must get this in here. After Dr. Quinn ended, I just thought I read this script called Wedding Crashes and I thought, oh my God, this is the funniest thing I've ever read in my life, but I can't do it because, you know, I am Dr. Quinn. So I closed it and then I opened it again, read it again, and now I'm laughing out loud, especially with my character, and I know exactly what I would do. Anyway, third read, I just said, look, I'll, I'll audition, whatever it is, I don't care. Even if Dr. Quinn people don't like me anymore, I, this is hilarious. And I did it, and, and it could have been, it could have gone horribly wrong, instead of which it ended up being one of the all-time great comedies of all time. And the, the you know, the, 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 the scene that I played with Owen Wilson, is you know, so memorable that an entire generation, that's like one of the funniest things. They, they stop me everywhere and they call me kitty cat or motorboat or whatever it is they want to call me. You know, like, <laughs> but it gave me a whole career in comedy. So I don't really regret going off brand. You know, I've been playing, uh, I just did um, for Chuck Lorre, I did Kaminsky Method. I'm playing Alan Arkin, who's now passed sadly, he was 90. I was playing like 80-something uh, with a gray wig and, and playing his love interest. Then he put me on B positive, playing a, a sex-crazed um, resident of an old people's home who's 85 years old and thinks she's a 20-year-old rock chick. I mean, that's so far from who I am. But my God, you know, how fabulous was that? And people loved it. So, you know, I'm always taking risks. I really am. Let's talk about staying power. When I think of someone like you that's had, you know, perhaps a 60-year, 50-plus-year career, 50 years for sure, you started as a ballerina, a dancer, I think of Professional some, at 13, actually. So that would be a 60-year career. Yeah. Uh, I think about people that are always reinventing themselves. Yeah. But I don't know that that's been your strategy. To me, it seems like you've not reinvented your career. You've just had a very clear vision of, 
who you are, what you need, what you want. You've taken some calibrated risks. Or am I wrong? Have you actually reinvented yourself in, a, in an era where ageism is an issue? You are probably the most employed actress in the world for someone at your age and your roles as a Bond girl and now who you are still you know, very prominent. Well, I yeah, I clearly broke the glass ceiling with Dr. Quinn because usually ageism-wise for a, an actress, you're done at 40. I mean, you're not going to be playing leading ladies anymore. At 40, I got Dr. Quinn. So at 40, everything, you know, got bigger and better. And then I did lots of movies of the week, a lot of other things. So that was pretty huge. And now, you know, at 70, or I think I was, uh, yeah, at 70, I was given Harry Wilde. I mean, who has a series written for you? At 70. I mean, that's unheard of. And then a skincare line, you know, I, I, uh, I've I, not done all the surgeries and I haven't had all the uh, no fillers and Botoxes, no facelifts or any of that. I, in fact, I, I don't even hardly, you know, get facials or, or anything like that and no lasers. So, you know, skincare, I'm authentic. I, I'm trying to be the best that I can be of the age I'm at rather than pretending to be something that I'm not. Um, and I think that's, you know, what I do, you know, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid to fail, funnily enough. I think that's an important thing to pass on to people. I, I always tell people it's like, I will dive off the diving board knowing that in the free fall, there's not a lot I can do about it, but I will practice everything I can to make sure that I can land, I can survive, that that it it would be okay. But I allow that free fall to happen and I'm open to what that might be, but I do know I can swim. So does that make any sense? It does, it does. What's next for you? Well, um, what's next? I have just optioned the rights to a fantastic book called The Truth About Horses. Um, I was in Ireland filming and uh, I made a friend in Ireland, actually an American lady called Christy Cashman. And um, she gave me a thing. She said, can you, you know, this is my book. Would you like to read? And I thought, oh gosh, you don't understand. I'm doing nine pages a day. I'm working as Harry. I can't read anything other than the script. You know, I, I, I can only put one thing in my brain at a time. Anyway, eventually I read it and it was fantastic and it moved me. And again, like with Dr. Quinn, like with the movie Summer in Time, we didn't mention that with Christopher Reeve which is a very important movie to me. I was so moved by it. I said, this has to be made. I have to be part of this. So anyway, it's an amazing, kind of like a catcher in the rye about a young girl who's 14 who has lost her mother and um, they've lost um, this famous horse that they were hoping was going to win. But it's all about relationships. It's as much about relationships between grieving and um, a father who's lost lost his wife and a girl who's lost her mother and how they, the cho bad choices they all make. And it's very, very special. So I'm actually producing that. Um, I'm getting involved with um, the production of, of a, a documentary that's almost finished about Kenny Loggins, which I'm very proud of. Um, what else am I doing? I'm working on my memoirs. Um, I'm actively uh, writing a separate novel, crime novel, with the, the two writers from Harry Wilde. We're doing it together so we can take Harry to other parts of the world and not worry about the budget <laughs> of filming it. So we're going to do that as a novel. So I'm hoping that it gets um, sold, that people will buy that. Um, 
I am doing now uh, kimonos and um, other things with my artwork. I've got um, major sculptures going up, bronze sculptures of my open heart in public places. The next one's in Calgary. Um, I What else am I doing? I am... So basically nothing. You're retired. You're, just, you're phoning it in. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I'm not even sure how to keep up with what I'm doing, but I love what I'm doing. I, I think I've inadvertently sort of become the face of aging gracefully. You know, we, we see all these young people changing their bodies and their faces and everything, literally from the time they're like 13 on. And and I am... Uh, I'm trying to 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 show what it what it can be like if you take care of yourself, uh, both physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, you know, really looking at your health and you know whether it's exercise or supplements or choice of the way you eat. You know that there are ways of doing these things naturally, and they don't have to cost a fortune. And I want to end with maybe a little bit of an odd question. It's about celebrity. Um, I have three sons with my wife, Stephanie. They are 9, 13, and 12. And about five months ago, I took my oldest son to the U.S. Open tennis tournament in Flushing Meadows. All three of my sons are um, serious tennis players. And there was one day at Flushing Meadows where the tennis players walk through a line of kids that all line up, and they ask you to sign their hats and their balls. And usually the tennis players, top 10 players, by the way, will sign four or five of them and kind of, you know, muscle through with their security and go on and do their thing. And there was one player whose name I won't actually mention, who was a top 10 player in the world, by the way, um, signed every ball, every T-shirt, every hat, everything. It took him maybe 15 minutes. He signed probably 200 things. It took him maybe seven more minutes than the other nine players. And I remember watching from afar and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna be his biggest fan. He had nothing, there was no merchandising deals. He didn't have anything to earn. He just, he signed every, I'm kind of emotional thinking about this. Every seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 14 year old kid, he signed everybody's thing. And I remember thinking, that's a class act. How do you deal with celebrity? I'm guessing you can't go to Applebee's and have a quiet dinner. I'm guessing you can't go shopping in the mall. I'm guessing you can't take a stroll with your dog down you know, Malibu and not be left alone. As someone who recognizes that your brand is your business and you also wanna have some privacy, you live in the public eye, how do you calibrate quote, how many balls and hats and t-shirts you sign and how many you don't? Well, I, a very important question that. So Dame Margot Fontaine, the great ballerina, was my dream person ever to meet. And when I was a young girl and I didn't have any money, I managed to watch her dance in London, Royal Ballet. And I... I waited behind, hoping I'd have a chance to see her, and I did. And she sat down with me and asked me about my ballet career and signed something, and I went, if I'm ever famous, I'm gonna be like Dame Margot. Well, guess what? I got to meet Dame Margot and thank her about a few months before she passed away. So she was my thing. And then um, Paul Newman I knew very well, but he wouldn't sign anything. And so I, if I was with him, he was a friend, and we were walking somewhere, people would follow him and say, sign this, sign that, or take a photograph. And he'd muscle through. And, and that looked uh, dangerous. So 
I decided to go more for the Margot Fontaine side of things. So I do sign pretty much everything. But then, you know, there are times when the professionals, you know, the professional signing people, they get you to sign blank, uh, blank photographic paper. They then put some pornographic image on it and say, it's you. So you, you have to be really careful. I mean, obviously, real people that really want your signatures, I have all the time for, and I do. So what I had to do in the end was I had to discern. And so I said, for a $10 donation to the Open Hearts Foundation, I will sign, you know, per thing, whatever you want. So the people that now sell it on, at least they know it's authentic because I've actually signed it. It's not a machine. And, you know, they've benefited a, an organization. And so if people buy that from them, they know it's real. Um, but it, it is difficult. But, you know, being... Um, in Malibu, no one would ever bother me because there's, there's lots of famous people wandering around and you wouldn't even know who they were because everyone's just kind of, you know, quietly just getting on with life. Uh, if I go uh, to the South or the Midwest or somewhere like that, people would be more likely to recognize me and possibly, you know, be excited. But my fans have always been really lovely. I mean, they, they're very... Um, you know, they, they, they're kind and they're thoughtful and they and they don't sort of push and barge in or anything. They're not they're, they're they're I've been very, very fortunate and and I'm very happy to talk to them and to sign things and take photographs. But, um, you know, if I'm, say, in a public place and everyone's coming at me and I'm there with my children, it's frightening. So times like that, you know, I have to sometimes like if I'm at Disneyland or in a in a amusement park or something, the word gets out, then suddenly they all come. But you know, those parks, they're pretty good about helping you security wise. But I I usually manage to navigate life um on my own quite quite fine. And um and you know if I've been in the theater or I've given a performance or I've given a speech, I do a lot of public speaking, um I will stay many, many hours longer than most people and sign everything I possibly can. Jane, so many nuggets in today's conversation. Thanks for taking the time. I've learned a lot from you, including how to, how to be a model of aging graciously, right? Being the best of the age you are versus trying to be an age that you're not. It's been delightful right. to have you impart on us some great entrepreneurial ideas, how to, how to um, recover from uh, pitfalls and what was the phrase you used around letting go? Was it rise and fall? What was the phrase you used? Yes, the wave, the wave. You know, you're born on, like on a body of water. You have the woohoo moment where you, you know, make, win the prize, fall in love, make the team, whatever it yeah. is. And as it comes down, realize everything in life is cyclical. And that if you have the high, you have to be ready for the, 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 the letting go because nothing stays in one place. In fact, if you think about it, pretty much everyone in life has more than one career at, during their lifetime. And if you're a woman, many, many more, because you will also possibly be a wife, a mother, um, a, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and, and if you have a profession that you're good at, there'll come a point where maybe you become a, you know, a teacher or a mentor or, um, or a manager in that area, or you know, whatever it is. There's, there's just so many, so many layers to your life. You don't arrive and then you're there forever. Nothing 
nothing stands still. Life doesn't stand still. The planet doesn't stand still. You don't stand still. And your brand doesn't stand still. So um, whatever it is, you know, I think you put your your passion behind it. If you have the privilege that I have of never feeling I ever work. I mean, it is hard, but I do. A lot of times it's exhausting and people say, how do you do it? But I love it. I love what I do. I feel so uh, grateful to have had any success at all in things that I'm capable of doing. And, uh, and I love to mentor. So I'm always helping other people coming up. I think that's really important too, mentoring. Because the more you mentor and the more you give and help the next generation, the more you learn and appreciate the journey you've been on. Jane Seymour, you are a class act. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.